Pelotero Pickle episode 64. It is hot stove season. We get into all things off season, including a huge rant about state of the game. Buster Posey retired. And if you could watch a game in any other country besides North America, where would you watch the game? Check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 64. It is November 8th. The World Series is over. We are into hot stove territory. Everybody warm up. We're in the hot stove. Uh, before we get started with topics, a reminder, send us emails at pickle at pelotero.com or hit us up on Twitter at Pelotero Pickle. We love your questions. We're just constantly overwhelmed with all the inquiries and, and topics you guys have. So keep them coming. We love hearing from you. Chris, as always, joining me. How are you doing today, Chris? Hello, Robert. I am lovely. Big I'm hangover proud. show for us today. I'm a proud husband today. That's what I am. Uh, go on. I mean, oh, my wife did a fitness competition and she killed it. She went up on stage yesterday. She walked across and it's like big deal, you know, like do a whole show at the end of a training slash weight loss thing. And then it was interesting. It's weird to stand up there and watch it. Like 50 women come up there and like, you know, we're in a bikini when you got to root for your wife, but I was cheering and she did good. She got a medal. I don't know what that means, but she got a medal. It's awesome. Yeah. Super proud. I, I don't know much about the uh, fitness competition space. I'm sure there's different criteria for which by which they're judged in a non-canceling uh, world that we live in. <laughs> but that's great. I don't even want to get into it. Yeah, I'm nervous like, to say words. I didn't know what I was allowed to say and what I wasn't. So I'm just proud. That's it. That's happy. great. Good she's job, happy. Man. Yeah, she's happy. It's good. That's good. So we got a big hangover show. Obviously, last week, huge guest with uh, Jose joining us. If you haven't checked out that episode, make sure to do that. I thought from a from a like superstar guest standpoint, he was incredibly open. I thought it was a really cool interview that he did. It's amazing. I think podcast environments and especially ones where you probably know the people that are hosting the show, I think it allows for people to feel a little bit more comfortable talking to weird podcasts just in general, I think allow for a little bit more freedom where you don't feel like you're on a mass media outlet channel, but the information is getting out there nowadays, which I think is good. Um, and I think athletes are being more candid. Um, the dynamic of how players do interviews is changing every day. I think, are allowed to be more vocal. And I think a long time ago, you know, they set the precedent or established the, this groundwork that you should keep things to yourself. And I think that's true sometimes. Um, but uh, when it comes to getting into depth about topics, about how athletes there went through their journeys personally, that's some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's so much more, accessible now the tech like 10 years ago 15 years ago before iphones were out before 
4G or 5, whatever speed internet we have with our phone now, you can go live on a phone from basically anywhere in the world when before you need to bring in like satellite trucks and have all these equipment people setting up cameras and lighting and microphones. They just go like this. Hey, we're live with uh, Chris and Bobby. Like we, hey. could simul- we could simulcast this on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all at the same time if we really wanted to. Yeah. It's pretty wild. But it, it just gives, uh, it decentralizes the power for media. You get guys like, like Marcus Stroman, who goes crazy on Twitter with, with, in terms of his ability to, to communicate and get whatever message he wants out where before there was gatekeepers, whether it be TV or print, whatever. So I think the dangerous part, the dangerous part is kind of what we're getting into before is, and I was thinking about this a lot last week, no matter what, (laughs) no matter what side of anything you're on, there's going to be somebody that has an opposing side. So I actually posted a tweet last night that was, Basically, everybody has a predisposition about something uh, based on their general experiences and whatever it may be. And then it's really easy to find opposing opinions on stuff uh, on the web. So you just end up ultimately jumping on the side that fits your narrative, which makes it, I think, a little bit harder and why athletes are, they'll tend to shy away if they don't really feel like they have the right, I guess, I don't know people around them or yeah it brings unnecessary unwanted attention i mean we we don't need to get super deep into it but i mean think about the aaron Rodgers situation right if if you really take a deep dive into that and we're not going to because i think everybody else in the world has covered it you could you could be on either side you know from a whatever standpoint but even just the way and it doesn't have anything to do with how he went about it in terms of what he chose to do. But if you really look at how it's been looked at after the fact and why he chose to go about it the way he did, you're going to have people on both sides. So that's what makes it scary for athletes. I think it's as soon as you get caught in the crosshairs, you're taking fire from one direction and getting support in another. And I think that's just the shape of the world right now. And nothing solves it like a couple uh, 400 yard, four touchdown games, and everything yeah. will be back to normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, all you can do is keep chugging forward. I think you're going to, I think athletes now, and I, this is the one that I would want younger players to really pay attention to is that when you look up and see professionals in their sports, and, and that's what you aspire to be and what your, your drive is to, to get to this level for, fame, popularity, money, whatever it is, I think it's much easier to see the bad side of it now, right? I think it's much easier to see even the best players in the world, that they have to deal with controversy and difficult things. And I think we'll talk about some of that in the show a little bit today, but learning how to deal with those things early on is what I think allows players to become the best versions of themselves because you have to be able to post up even when things aren't easy. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into topics. First topic that we have for today is that baseball is over. The uh, Atlanta Braves pulled it out in game six. Uh, were we robbed of a game seven? I don't know. I thought the Braves just, they won. They just, they, that the game six, the clinching game, they dominated from start to finish. Max Reed went throughout the fantastic game. Um, offense, Solaire hit the ball like, 
over out of the stadium and went out, I believe. It was um, at least 800. At least 800. It was, yeah, it was uh, absolutely crushed. And then they just, ex- they kept extending the lead and um, it felt like a situation where the lead when it was like three, nothing, four, nothing was like 10, nothing where it just, there's no energy. I saw that uh, the Bregman um, had surgery on his wrist, looked like his right wrist. And he didn't look right at all. Like his energy wasn't right. So he was wearing bad spikes too. You notice that he was wearing like all blacks. Nobody wears all blacks anymore. I did not notice the spikes. No, if you wear bad shoes, you're not going to hit. That had something to do with it for sure. He had bad shoes on. He didn't hit. Look, Bregman was hurt earlier this year too. And just to touch on that, I think there's a lot there's a lot wrapped up in just that topic alone um, because I feel like he's he's brought controversy onto himself and for a while and then this summer he did his own little oh follow my return as if people were questioning that he wasn't going to be able to come back to form and things like that and I don't know I, I think he's got some demons man it's just didn't he had, a, he had like some salsa campaign here too in Texas. I, apparently, if you're not familiar, there's a grocery chain in Texas called HEB. It's pretty epic in terms of grocery stores. And I guess he had like a big salsa thing and people were questioning why he was doing it at the time of it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's really relevant to anything. Yeah. Um, just shout out HEB. Good to, story. Uh, being yeah. a good Maybe the sponsor of the show. Um, I, I, I want to revert back to just FYI, the Braves beat the brakes off everyone. Like, it wasn't close. Like, nothing was close. And I'm going to tell you, first of all, they were probably the best team in baseball from, if you look at, like, July on, like, the, the middle of July, they were – it was going away. They, they played better than everybody else. Um, and it was hard to really notice it because of what was going on in the NL West and the race in the AL East and how tight it was. And the NL East, generally speaking, is is a – non-paid attention to race even though the phillies were kind of relevant this year um well the mets it felt like it was the mets division to win and they just kept tripping themselves up and not yeah they had the mets had a lot of stuff go poorly including i think internally there wasn't a lot of good stuff going on either so like it was a group that probably needed the right leadership and may or may not have had it for for the times that they had injuries because you can always point to injuries and say oh well look at this happened this happened this happened I mean, the Braves had as many injuries as anybody. Like, they lost basically an ace and one of the best players in baseball. I mean, to the point where they were missing their whole outfield at one point, and they had to go get a whole new outfield. But this is – I was going to point this out. You always know in the playoffs, um, who, the teams that are getting the early games are the ones that nobody cares about. <laughs> Whoever gets to 1 o'clock, nobody cares about. And it was crazy because I thought Milwaukee and Atlanta were super, super dangerous. And I, I honestly, it, Milwaukee can't hit at all, like zero. And you, you needed to find a way to score runs against them and you were going to be okay. So if the Braves did that, but to, to run down that pitching and, and beat them pretty handily, like you knew their lineup could handle anybody. So it was going to come down to how they pitched. And what I was most impressed with was, and I think everybody was, was the, the you know, the lefties out of the bullpen. Do you realize Tyler Matzik was pitching the American Association two years ago? He had a five something in 2018 in the American Association. And then the next year he came back and he had a, a two. 
He's a he's a reverse splits guy. He had his highest career ERA in independent ball, his second highest career ERA in minor league ball, and he's got his lowest career ERA in the big leagues. So once again, reaffirming that independent ball is harder than the big leagues. So Tyler Matzik, um, when I first got online back in like 2010, I think he was still – what year did he – he got drafted in 2009. So he was a um, – big Mike Marshall guy coming up and he I remember watching video of him he was electric but then he got kind of yipped up a little bit and there were like training methods stuff going on um but he was like 97 out of high school nasty breaking but I remember seeing video of him pitching in uh the Anaheim it was in the Anaheim stadium I don't know if it was like a state championship game I don't know what it was but I remember seeing video of him I'm like this kid is this kid's lights out, but um, I think he just he he had to go. To, he had to have his journey. You, you have to understand Crazy. something about the team he pitched for in independent ball too. So the the Which American team was it the it just the, says Texas on the yeah the Texas Air Hogs. So the the Texas Air Hogs used to be the Grand Prairie Air Hogs, who was a, a pretty good club for a few years there in the American Association, <laughs> like mid two thousands. They went bankrupt in, I want to say, 2015, something like that. <coughs> what happened was, is uh, the Chinese government, Team China, uh, funded the Grand Prairie Air Hogs, but the agreement was that they were allowed to send about 18 of their uh, U23 players, because in China, it's, they're trying to grow baseball and they don't have anywhere to compete. So they, they wanted their their younger players to be able to come play against professional level players. So it like 16 of the 22 guys on that roster were all uh, Chinese U23 players. And then it was Tyler Matzik, like Matt Dean, who was a double A kid with the blue Jays and four other guys that had played affiliated. They got, we, I mean, we beat their breaks in like, like, they lost, I think, 78 or 90, 78 of 94 games that year. I mean, if you look Is at their record, 18? Uh, 18 and 19. So 19 was the year I was there. And that was the year he pitched really well. It was the year that got him out of there. Now, bear in mind, I was one for – no, I was two for three against him with two walks. I they think were, that's, not, they were, that's not that big a deal. They had 100 uh, – there was 100 games that season. Yeah. They were 25 and 75. Yeah, it was terrible. Like, I mean, the worst – thing ever and this guy's he was their only lockdown guy out of the bullpen again i only went two for three against him which i mean stinks it's a couple walks 800 obp so i mean houston probably needed me but that's not that big a deal either um he was really good we remember him being really good like plus plus fastball slider was the same he was a two-pitch guy but you had to hit the heater because the slide i mean the slider is not even like right-handed hitters can't hit left-handed sliders that are good like, it's just a fact. You can't hit it. And I saw a bunch of Houston hitters keep trying to hit a slider. And I'm like, stop swinging at it. It's a ball. Just take it and swing it as fastball. Yeah, the back foot slider, the angle of it, the depth of it, it just – Very Andrew the only chance, The only chance is really, like, really staying inside of it and going oppo. Or if he leaves it up, you can catch it out front. You had to hit the heater. But to keep it fair is tough. It's just a tough angle. You had to hit the heater. And that's why it was so good. And, I mean, I, I give him credit. The, the bat that was impressive, he struck Mookie out in the NLCS on three straight heaters, which was crazy because Mookie went up looking slider, which I don't know why you do that when you're the best fastball hitter on the planet. 
Uh, I saw that. I think it was the first, like either the first or second. It was the second time he'd ever struck out and thrown three pitches with runner in scoring position. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know if that was playoffs only, but it was some sort of like rare occurrence where yeah. the, the about was over. That's the about when you walk back to the dugout, be like, what did I just hit? What, yeah. what, what yeah. Well, and again, I think that was a testament to how the Braves played. It was a microcosm of how good they were. Uh, just a lot of professional at-bats up in that lineup. Eddie Rosario, uh, not that his career ever went away, and I have always thought Eddie could play. Um, but when he plays with that kind of energy, I mean, he took his walks. He was staying in the zone. Like, that's a kid that just needs to stay in the strike zone to hit. Um, tremendous addition for them. Duvall. Somebody like Rosario. So the, this is one of the questions. Biggest winners and losers of the postseason. So Rosario, I'm pretty sure is a free agent right now. Uh, it's either it's either Arb or he's a free agent. Yeah, it's like pretty his sure last he's a free agent. He I was, think his last Arb. I love. Yeah, free agent through in twenty uh, in twenty two. So a guy like him, who career wise, like he didn't have a like a great year. He hit overall he hit two fifty seven. He's a career two seventy five hitter. Career wise, he's I mean he's a solid player. Uh, what's his 162? I got his all his minor league averages. Let me let me pull up his uh his 162 average. Hold on. 275, 24, 275 with 27 and 90. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty solid. That's yeah. in today's game. That's that's really good. He can hit, man. He can hit. So, does the the postseason push? It's almost like um. Randy for the for Tampa last year, yeah. where he's he's a good player. He's not playoff Randy. He's, he's not like world beater Randy. And Rosario's not world beater Eddie the way that he was in the postseason. So guys like him, Adam Duvall is an interesting one. You you had just started to say his name where that dude was in Triple A not too long ago. Yeah, and he was in the home run derby not too long ago. Either. He was an all star and then somehow got sent to Triple A because he didn't hit one year. With he won the Gold Glove. Yeah, right I know field. he just won the gold glove. By the way, the gold gloves were so weird. I think the National League gold glove was the Cardinals. They, they won five of them. Yeah, they were the Cardinals. Um, so Chris Taylor's another guy that had a pretty good playoff push, which is funny because he was ice cold going into the playoffs and then hit the walk-off and then was just kind of on fire. It's just weird timing how like the media and the fans go nuts when a guy gets hot, which if they got hot in May – Nobody would know. Everybody, every single guy in these lineups is capable of doing this. Kike Hernandez is another one who Jordan Alvarez had a put the team on the back. Yeah. Um, but how much is that going to actually impact their, you know, when when Kike was going off, people were like, Oh, pay him, give him like he's making so much money right now. And it's like he's just hot for a couple games, which is great. And it's in a big moment. But does that are you gonna go into like an ARB meeting? Yes. And use that honestly the agents are yeah that's i mean they're trying to leverage weight? that does it, carry yeah, well, weight? The, uh, it, it does in the sense that it, because it's so fresh on people's minds it's the last thing they remember and I, it's a little bit more of a challenge in arbitration because you have to manipulate information um differently because everything in arb is based on comps but it's much easier going into free agency to, to use that because then so like everything, everything now is based off, you, you know, you're getting assigned a value from, from the war statistic. Right. And then they're trying to, the, you know, 
get surplus value out of whatever they, they pay you. Um, meaning you have to be worth more than um, whatever they're paying. So that 7 million is about the number still, I think for one point of war and anything less than that, they'll pay. Right. Uh, the challenge, the challenge for the player is there's so many peripherals now, right. Uh, that don't show up on the stat sheet. So Kevin Pillar and I, we talked about this, you know, before and after the show. And, and I think during a little bit like dealing with what you think is relevant, what you like, what you take pride in, like hitting 300, like nobody cares. You literally go into arbitration and make that argument and nobody cares about that number. Uh, you can find things that I think that you do well within all the things that they're looking at, whether it be stay in the zone rate, swing and miss rate, chase rate out of the zone, um, you know, contact rate in the zone, hard hit percentage, things like that. And uh, I mean, uh, I remember when Kevin Goldstein was on, he said, you know, what was the thing about Chris he hits the ball hard. And I mean, generally speaking, I've been a guy that when I barrel the ball, it comes off pretty good and I barrel a lot of balls. So um, again, I, I would have never looked at myself that way unless my numbers were showing up on the page, because those are the things that I thought were the contribution, but the game apparently is allowing for players to be valued in other ways and how creative your agent can get is to convince a guy in arbitration at the end of the day, the arbiters are going to rule somewhere in the middle. Some half the guys are going to win half the guys are going to lose. So if there's 15 arbitrations a year, it's going to be eight, it's eight, seven every year, you know, and cause if not, the arbiter gets fired because either side has the right to fire, which is something I think the public, the general public doesn't really understand. Yeah. Well, it's all good to know. And, a good peek kind of behind the curtain of how that process works. Um, Ron Washington, probably a winner. Is he? Oh yeah. Did they, uh, did did Oakland? uh, So the coaching switch, switch up where Tingler was fired with, with San Diego, Melvin was brought in from Oakland. And then there's thoughts that Washington might go to Oakland and get a chance to be a manager. Bob Melvin's been in Oakland for, like 114 years. I thought it was a pretty interesting move, but the, the, the perception was that in Oakland, he wasn't calling shots. He was managing the players, but he wasn't not making the rosters straight up money ball where they're telling them moves. They're telling them what to do. I would, I I, I would, I I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I I think he felt like he was never going to win in Oakland. Right. Like, how are you going to push it across the finish line if you don't make the moves at the deadline, if you're not going to spend money? That, the, Oakland is always going to play on limited budgets and say they don't want to spend money. And in San Diego, they're like, no, hey, we're opening up our wallet now. They probably already did too much. Um, case in point is Eric Cosmer's hit seven homers, making 20 something million dollars a year. Um, and they probably don't have a ton of money left to spend, but I think if you put the right, put the right leadership there in Oakland and uh, in San Diego with that team, and what a better place! Like there, there really isn't a better place to play. San Diego's tremendous ballpark, tremendous spectacular city. city. Yeah. Oh my God! It's, I mean, if they don't win the World Series in the next ten years, I, I'd be utterly shocked because, yeah, it's great, and that and people complained about it not being a hitter's yard and i was talking to john andrioli about this two days ago and we both were like dude ball carries fine there it's not a problem well they moved the fences in when uh 
when Adrian Gonzalez was there, he raked, but yeah. the fences were really deep. They moved them all in. It's, it's all, the big leagues, matter. dude. Deep fences don't matter. 410 to center is not, it's irrelevant. So the, the point about Oakland not kind of stepping up, making moves, uh, pretty relevant and interesting way to look at that decision from a manager standpoint. Like if you're trying to win and your franchise isn't supporting you, that's a big deal. Which brings me to Freddie Freeman's speech. Yeah. Did you see, did you see it? Yeah. And I I like to joke around when people say we, like if the Patriots play uh, the Bills and the, they win and like Tom Brady, they'd be like, oh yeah, the Patriots, we had a good game today. We, we, we did well. Yeah. Red Sox. I just, I, I just have a hard time with it. I hate it. There's so nothing I hate more. But Freddie Freeman made a huge point in his speech and maybe he was just playing the crowd because they just won, but he made a big point to say to the fans that them showing up supporting the team allowed Anthopolis, the Alex Anthopolis, the GM to go to ownership and say, look, we're making a push here. We got, um, we have an opportunity to push in the playoffs. Let's go out and spend some money. And then they went out and they really didn't spend money. They, yeah, they just made some moves. Uh, to yeah, take Pablo Sandoval off our books, and then they got released two seconds later. Well, they basically I mean, gave up nothing for the four outfielders they got, but they they made moves that some would say that like the Red Sox didn't make. They just energize the team, man. When you right. make moves, they energize the team, especially. And look, everybody knows where your gaps are, right? When at the deadline, like we knew in Toronto, we knew where our gaps were, and Alex Alex has said this openly. Right. He's talked about how in 2014, when the Blue Jays were hovering, he didn't make the moves. And then all of a sudden in 15, he was like, I'm not letting this happen again. So he, it, he almost overdid it. Right. Like he almost overcooked it. We we I, I think and I don't necessarily think that's true, but, um, you know, we we got David Price. We got Troy Tulowitzki. We got Latroy Hawkins and Mark Lowe, like veteran bullpen arms and Ben Revere to play left field, which you can make the argument that we really didn't need Revy um, just in terms of the lineup construction and, and what, like where his value was going to be. I think the, the thought process there was to have a more solid defender in the outfield because apparently I wasn't good enough, which sure. I understand. I think you could go with me for six innings and then Ezekiel Carrera, whatever that's neither here nor there, but he's going for it, man. And, and that like, you have to go for it. You don't get that many opportunities in the major leagues to play in the postseason. You have to – I mean, you you see the same teams getting there. You see the Dodgers get there every year, but it's not that easy. Season's too long. There's too many different factors that go into it. So when you have a chance, I mean, you're doing a disservice to your fan base, and I think you'll be remembered – like, people will be remembered for those things. Like, Alex Anthopoulos is now a Hall of Famer, by the way. He has solidified himself, and he's only had, what, 10 years as an executive in the big leagues? Hall of Famer, like Dave Dombrowski, Hall of Famer. People complain about, oh, Boston, blah, blah, blah. You run us into the ground, won a World Series. Sorry, like you win. And that's like, that, is that the criteria for a GM to be a Hall of Famer? Look, I, I, I was talking to, I was talking to Sam Fold about this, who actually would be an interesting guest for us. Get him on the show. He's not yeah, exactly, but we, I mean, we were talking about because he works with Dave now. The, like, the guy will be remembered for winning. It, he won't be remembered for the years when they were thin or they got fired or moved on from a job, his contract was up. 
He'd be remembered for winning or putting his team in a position to win. And, you know, Alex Anthopoulos to me is, is the epitome of that. He's going for it. He's going for it in the right way because he's bringing in guys that he know will, he knows will fit the criteria of what the clubhouse needs. We talked about that at length with the 2015 Blue Jays and it, not surprising um, to me that they won. I mean, it's just, you know, and I'm team snicker anyway, because when I got to hang out, I, I mean, I was team snit throughout the playoffs. I think it was, you know, I don't, as I, as much as I don't like to make predictions, I, I was, I was, I root for people that I know and, and snit and AA stand high on that list. And my trainers, George Poulos, Frank Thomas always talks about George Poulos on the post games because he had him in Toronto. What a George Poulos is the best man. Him and Mike Frost had, uh, Oh, they're the best trainers. I just you just said that, and I don't even remember Frank Thomas playing for Toronto. He was there for a minute at the end. Got it. Had to look that up. I was like, Frank Thomas is a White Sox legend. Um, I'm trying to think, like in terms of the overall. Let's get back to that the winners and losers thing. Who's the winner this hey, year? Mark hey, hey, Simeon. Simeon, yeah. As it, well, just from a I know he didn't without going thing. to the postseason winner. Oh yeah, he's he's gonna get paid. He uh he had the least. There's like three guys that have played less than 10, 30 games at a position, and then won a Gold Glove. He's one of them. So he good. was the second baseman in the minor leagues. He was second baseman, third baseman. And when the Oakland A's put him at shortstop, I thought it was absurd. Absurd. Wasn't he very good there? No, he made fifty errors one year, and then he figured it out. And then like his metrics got good, but he was never a good shortstop. Let's clarify that. In, two, in 2015, he was getting – he was literally – people were saying calling him days off. He was getting benched. I told you, he was getting – you don't get days off when you stink. You get benched. He threw He threw a ball into the eighth row in Toronto, just a routine ground ball on a – like I, I, I was on second, and I, I took off toward third, and he fielded it, like he gripped it wrong, and then just a regular throw with – I think Russell was running the first. It went in the 18th row. He was a bad shortstop. He just needed well, to move. He figured gold, it out. I give him a gold ton of Glover. Gold Glover is second. Marcus like that, a great that move, kid. That move from short to second, you got all the time in the world. It's Yeah. <laughs> I loved him as a hitter in the minor leagues. He's a little too pull for me. If he opened up the field, I think he'd, he'd be even more productive. But he hit 40-something homers. So who, yeah. who, 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 who tough I to Tough to argue against that. Um any other any other closing thoughts on the postseason? Let's put a bow on the postseason. Uh, Freddie Freeman's Instagram post this morning came out Didn't or yesterday, and uh, all the fans are freaking out because they think it's uh, it's his farewell. Which I mean, he just said thank you to all the fans, basically. And I wouldn't read too much into it. It's it, I mean, it's abundantly clear Freddie wants to stay in Atlanta. Yeah. So there, there's been a there were I have a, the list of uh, qualifying offers. So, Brandon Belt, Nick Castellanos, who like opted out, and people are like, "Oh, I can't believe!" It's like he chose to get paid what he's worth instead of taking a team option for not getting paid. Uh, Conforto with the Mets, Carlos Correa, who got a thirty-two was it thirty-two, thirty-five per year offer that basically everybody's saying was like just the Astros being like, "Here, we're we're gonna." 
pretend that we're giving you an offer, but it's not real with the, with the market that's available. Uh, Freddie Freeman, Robbie Ray, Eduardo Rodriguez with the Red Sox, Corey Seager, Semyon, Trevor Story with the Rockies, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Taylor with the Dodgers, and Verlander. So Verlander's doing a, uh, a he's doing a showcase workout before he decides if he's taking the qualifying offer, which is kind of a weird thing to be able to do. Hey, we live on JV's world, man. It's his world. Is he, is he a Hall of Famer? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty I'm getting told I'm in my earbud that Kershaw also did not did not get a did not he did not get an offer, which is listen, he's getting old. He's uh he was injured, so that makes sense. And look, I think the just to touch on that, the Dodgers do a really good job with guys in free agency. If you look at the the way the Kenley Jansen, Justin Turner deals were handled a few years ago, like they didn't sign till late but they knew they were signing back there. They worked out in Dodger stadium all off season <laughs> while they were non Dodgers. So um, yeah. I don't think, I, I mean, look, Kershaw, <clears throat> th- th- that'll be taken care of. I just don't think he got the qualifying offer probably because I know that there's the semantics there of, you know, the, the draft 18-4, right? 18-4 is the offer. Um, and, and, Clayton will probably just sign. If I had to guess, if he's healthy, he'll sign a, a two-year deal. But like, he's probably not ticketed to be healthy to start next year, which is why he he's not getting it. So tough to say you're going to offer a guy twenty million bucks to not pitch. It's happened before. The uh... well, I mean, you have to know these like ahead of time. Right? Yeah, the the shortstop market is obviously very interesting. Just on this list alone, you got Correa and Seager and Story. Some yeah. pretty big names. Story, Story's second who, tier. Who gets who gets paid the most out of those three? Who would I pay the most or who's going to get the most? Because they've all kind of had – Seager's had some injury problems. Uh, Trevor Story, he's going to have the whole Colorado thing on him. Seager's the best player on the three of them. He's been, he's been banged up. I would pay Seager, I would pay Seager the most. Correa second, unfortunately, and then Story's third. They're all they're they're all very similar in terms of stats. How much money is Freddie Freeman gonna get? I I like Freddie Freeman so much. I I want a Freddie Freeman hug, and I want an Albert Pujols hug in my life. Those guys just. They seem oh. like like Freddie Freeman, a Freddie Freeman hug in the dugout after like a, a big play is. When we talk about awesome. underrated players, I think he fits that category, even though he was one an MVP. I think I don't know if he's underrated. He's just like unheralded. He's he's under the radar. Yeah, I, think, I mean, but that I think to me, people is not, know he's good, but that they to me, just not. That to me is underrated. He might he could be the best hitter in the game. He's very. I mean, he won the MVP last year. He's so he's solid, dude. Very good. He since his, I think his second year in the big leagues, he had like two fifty something, and since then, it's look at like if you look at his last four years, it's like two ninety two, two ninety five, two ninety one, three thirty, three hundred on the dot this year. Like that's five in a row. I think. I mean, you're talking about a guy that 
just stays within the window of who he is and just continues to produce like just produce the lowest the lowest he's hit since 2013 is 276 and yeah. that was that wasn't the full season i don't know if he got hurt but that was his last five. games 290 something 296 his, his last six have been tremendous yeah and it's 30 and 100 chalk it up his numbers aren't all that dissimilar from Corey seager's and 162 average standpoint i just freddie freeman to me I think the guy's on the field more often. I obviously doesn't play a premium position. By the way, the fact that Joey Gallo, the, the, the gold gloves are so weird, by the way. Like, the gold gloves are so weird to me. Like, Tyler O'Neill won the gold glove, which I'm sure he's back years. He won a last year, too. I'm sure he's a good defender, but he runs through walls. I don't, really, the cri- he's really strong. The, cri- league, probably. the criteria for winning a gold glove is so strange. It's all about outs above replacement and and you know use dr all those metrics and i'm like man i'm like i don't think this guy's the best defender like yuli guriel won the gold glove at first base and like there are times when he bends over to feel the ground ball and i think like think to myself man like you know the best the best quality about this guy's defense is his offense you know like he he clanked the ball so bad in the playoffs and i went like that doesn't look like a first baseman to me I don't know the criteria. It, it seems weird. Uh, Stroman, I think Stroman was really mad. He wasn't the finalist. Said on Twitter that he's looking for a new glove sponsor. He's probably going to make his own glove brand now. Yeah, I think if he's I had to guess. Um, but he was he's mad about it. Um, yeah, I mean it's just it, the, it's tough as a fan because you're not watching every single game to go off the eye test. But there's some guys that you're like, this guy's really good, and then they're not even considered (laughs) did you have any idea that they were announcing the gold gloves last night no they just did it right in primetime football season on a sunday night listen yellowstone was on last night and sunday night football didn't exist what the hell were they thinking it's just that's your mo they they there was one thing on twitter yesterday about the arizona fall league not getting any tv time until that guy buried the guy the other night the other day threw at the dude yeah, which why you fight in the Arizona Fall League? Unreal. Um, but like, I think it'd be really cool if they if they did a broadcast where they had just like background story on the prospects, where they play in college, where they play in high school, what's their trajectory like, how do they fit into the the team's whole like game plan moving forward? Engage the fan. Like they they cut a bunch of teams from the minor leagues. Like they just eliminated teams, and then they don't promote games the only games that are happening right now it just seems like a missed opportunity whoops what's a tv what's a tv right situation for like arizona fall league minor league guys would they be allowed to just throw guys up on tv yeah of course there's no there's no issues there with uh especially i mean no let's do whatever they want and the, the players will make no money off it which is cool also seems seems like a really simple thing to do to promote the game but yeah uh biggest thing of the season was it was it a successful baseball season i think it's very obvious having fans is better than no fans um there's there's nothing like uh like a crowd erupting it's pretty awesome i mean that changes the dynamic of all sports 
especially in the playoffs, especially in big games. It's so different. And then uh, is the game in a good place? Look, I I mean, I I don't know. TV ratings were very good in the playoffs. It's funny because I sit sit right in the middle on all this, right? I I sit right smack dab in the middle because I I hate – we've seen – this has been a big Twitter war week for a bunch of our friends that we've kind of – been in like just following along and uh these old school guys you kind of you kind of got into one almost which by the way what what a like what a ridiculous thing i'm gonna put this out there right now on the air instead of putting it out on twitter so greg olson tweeted and i don't know greg from adam major league pitcher long career he's doing this he was a rookie of the year one year because doing that show whatever about the 90s and he's looks like he's taking like the hard line stance on the game sucks now and it was better than and blah 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 whatever and he made a comment about guys wearing their hat backwards right it was a comment he said you better be cautious with how you wear your hat yeah the wording the wording got me i'm and i'm, and, I'm fully and then, triggered i'll satisfy then, him i'm, I'm but triggered who was the it was it was it was in regards to casey smith right yep and Casey, if if there's any hitting guy on the planet other than you that I really like and respect to listen to his information, Casey's it. And his and during the video, because at first it was like the Jeff Fry, let's talk trash about somebody that doesn't say words that I say. And he had a really good explanation about direction. He's talking about like the tremendous analogy, explanation. The analogy of like of a road and turning, and like if you if you turn left right away, you can't turn right. But if you if you go this way, you can always turn later. And it was just a, like a good visual of like, if you're going left out of the gate, you you lose the ability to go oppo. And I thought it was, I, I thought it was a good analogy. And he's wearing a leg sleeve, which when I first saw the video, I'm like, whatever style, yeah. like, okay, he's wearing a leg sleeve. And he has hat on backwards, which I didn't even notice. Right. And people were coming after him for the leg sleeve and the backwards hat. And then he was like, yeah, I had surgery on my leg. I had to wear a leg sleeve. Compression sleeve, yeah. Like a compression sleeve on his leg. So, like, no apology there. Just just coming at, like, personal attacks right. about his style. And then the, the backwards hat thing. And then he's like, fine. So, he, he's talking about <laughs> baseball cards. This is the best cards. part, right? He's talking Where about baseball cards. Yeah. And how, like, oh, we're looking at baseball cards. So I just go on Google in two seconds and find Yeah, no, no, no. It was, I, I, I got to paint the picture because okay. I was fascinated by it, right? So, like, he's making a comment, like, he was talking about, and then you posted a picture of Junior right away, right? Which yeah. is like, I love Junior. Show me, and he goes, show me another Hall of Famer who's ever worn their hat backwards. And he's like, in my time, this was a no-go zone. And then all of a sudden, like he goes, he literally asked you to show him another Hall of Famer. And then right away, you found Trout and you went current Hall of Famers only. And then Jeter, you know, whoever else was. It was Trout. Jeter, Jeter had to be a dagger because Jeter, Jeter's like traditional. And and so now, and so now, and this is the thing that pissed me off about about the Twitter and the whole, this whole dynamic that's going on. And this is why I put up the tweet. It's like, Literally, he asked you to find him another Hall of Famer because he wanted to have the last word, right? Like, as if the implication was that you wouldn't. Now, the reality of it is that you I and couldn't. I, he was saying he was implying that I couldn't. Exactly. You and I both knew that that would take 
11 seconds. And then, so you continued to post and like, yeah, you were proving the point, but you were actually just answering the question and you have to do it tweet by tweet because you can't put 46 pictures. Well, I was, I was leaning into it. Yeah, they're right. But that rightfully so, because you won. Yeah. At that point you've won the discussion. Right. And then he came in hot and said, Oh, glad you had a nice day yesterday trying to prove your point. And he's like, I was out golfing all day, not caring about your opinion at all. And I was like, no, 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 time out. Number one, you do care about his opinion because you were the one that leaned into this. Number two, like it took 14 seconds to find eight guys wearing their hat backwards on Google. Like, and I don't know if he knows this because he's so old school, him and, and Jeff are so on that side of it. And this is what's making me angry. So you asked me about the state of the game. Like, I believe in old school. I love old school, but I hate when old school looks like that and they're trying to tell everybody new school that they're wrong, right? And we're talking about wearing a hat backwards in the cage, connecting with players, actually like helping players. My biggest issue with Jeff is he doesn't, he doesn't offer solutions. He just comes in and just talks trash and talks trash. And then he comes out promoting a product for squishing the bug and rotating the back foot in a way that, like literally he doesn't, he didn't do in his career. And he's like, Oh, can you believe, can you believe he's teaching the kickback scissor? And then Joey was like, here's Altuve and Edgar Martinez, two hitters that are way better than you talking about why they practice this. And Miguel Cabrera, one of the greatest hitters of all time told Altuve to work on this. So he, the two devices are the polar opposites in terms of intent where like realistically, pivoting your back foot is not a good move. It's just, it's not a good move. So like that, that's a device that should have come out in 1990 with like the downswing 3000, whatever the swing, like the, you remember the, <laughs> like the two bars that go downward, the downswing 3000, <laughs> the downswing 3000 with the bug squisher, like oh, all of those two things. Show. This is my and favorite show. The, we've funniest, ever done. the funniest thing about the whole thing is Jeff is all about like wearing people out, trying to hurt their businesses and, and that product. I, I, uh, Ferber, I was talking to Ferber and he's like, he goes, should I, should we get one of those? And we're probably going to do this for pre ABCA. We're going to test the data to see which product produces better results. Like, okay, let's let the data talk. Let's let like, obviously in a game, they pulled Jeff Fry pulled video of himself doing kickbacks to prove that kickback shouldn't be taught. Joey's like, point about the shirt was tremendous where the picture on the shirt promoting the product is not actually rotating the back foot. So again, it's pretty beautiful. It's anyway, beautiful. anyway, but that product, how much, how much did you look up? How much the product costs? No, cause I don't care. I, I told Ferbs this thing should cost $20. How much? Give me a number. I'll tell you how much. 49.99, maybe $119. <laughs> so it's $120. So he's running around making fun of people and like trying to tear them down because they're doing lessons and he, oh, you shouldn't pay anybody money to do lessons, but he's running around selling shirts, running around doing speaking engagements and, and, and endorsing a $120 uh, lazy Susan for hitters. And then you, you come back at him, you, you give him a taste of his own medicine. And he's like, Oh, let me tag every single person I've ever met in my life. But then they, and, but then they just bail from the conversation. Oh, they don't, they never engage. That, then they just bail. And that, yeah. and that's the part that, I think that's the part that's irritating, right? And and again, the the tweet that I put up was like, 
like the conclusion I've come to is that 90% of the world or 90% of the Twitterverse anyway, or the Twitter hitting world, they have predispositions in their opinions, right? So they have these thoughts about what, what they think, they, these thoughts about what they think. And then all of <laughs> that was funny. I can't believe you didn't laugh. And, and then all of a sudden what they do is they, they see a, a counterpoint to their own argument and they go, wait a minute. And then they just go find, Whoever fits, can you, can you believe this? Whoever, at this, person, yeah. at this person, at this person, whoever fits their own agenda, right? Like whatever f- a narrative fits their own agenda, and they just hop on that wagon. And so Jeff Fry has literally built a following of people who are old school and don't want to understand the new information because the, the the problem is this, Bobby. There's no right or wrong. Like from the standpoint of like mechanically this is happening versus this is happening like there are lines of rightness but in terms of the way you have to think about it or the feels you have to create a hundred percent like there's different there's different ways to think and see jeff wants everybody to think the way he did he wants everybody to learn the way he did and i want to hop into the conversation be like time out jeff i learned the way you did for 27 years and i stunk and then somebody taught me how to learn different and i became a big leaguer so but the, you know, the the most ironic thing of the whole bit is Jeff Fry. Uh, there's a YouTube video where he's explaining how the leg kick changed his whole career, how he just he tried it in a game and then he hit a, hit a homer. Yeah. And it like his whole trajectory of his career took off because he like we got to keep it. We got to keep it simple. We got to. I almost tweeted yesterday, like, at what point is keeping it simple kiss method? At what point is that a service to the athlete? Because the, 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 I almost just swore right there. Yeah, it's all right. We would have had to put the explicit. Okay. (laughs) The, the foot spinner device, whatever it's called. Could that help a player? Sure. It could. Can Joey's farm board help a player? Sure. Absolutely. Completely different reasons for completely different reasons. But if you're not treating each athlete as an individual and understanding their, their needs, and you're just making these like blanket statements, it's like the whole, Jim Tomey loved swinging downhill and he did a drill. He went on MLB network and was like, Oh, I swung on a downhill mound because Jim Tomey slotted his elbow like crazy, which drops the barrel crazy low. And he needed to think swing down. And then you get like Josh Donaldson who came from more of a hands to the ball, more like on top approach. And he has to think swing up. So they're both right. And they're both wrong depending on who you're talking to. And I don't, I don't understand why nobody from the old school generation is willing to just accept that. Do, are they just, they don't want to open up their brains when, when uh, Olson was, was saying, Oh, I was playing golf and not thinking about, it's like, enjoy your life being yeah. like with blinders on. That, and that like, was- I'm only going to like, I have blinders on and all I see is 1994 and this is my entire world. And I can't, the, the tweet the tweet that i was gonna put out and i probably will at some point was gonna be like hey man that's cool that you were playing golf today you know bobby's in the trenches trying to figure out how to connect with a younger generation of players i almost like, killed him with kindness i almost asked him what he shot i wanted yeah to <laughs> no, no like but but that it's it's getting to the point where we're, we're all getting we're all getting look there's some people that are trying to help the next generation players and i, I adam jones had a really good interaction with joey cunha online and you know, I've talked to Adam, respect the heck out of him. Can't wait to have him on the podcast. If Adam, let's go get on the podcast. Jeez. He'll definitely hear that. He'll um, definitely hear you say that. Yeah. So, but that's a big leaguer, right? 
established 10, 15 year big leaguer, couple all star games, probably. Uh, like as solid as they come, right? We always used to talk about him being Mr. Consistent, but Mr. The Same. And he is in an interaction and he's going, Oh, yeah, like, you know, that, that's the truth. Cause like the, the only thing that we have to hope for from people is that they try harder, right? that they have good intent about how they go about their learning. And all we can do is hit as, as hitting instructors, consigliaries, people that are trying to teach the next generation is give them the information that will allow them to succeed and make their own, make their own judgments on what that information is. We, we paint the picture, we draw the, we draw the, the, the outline of the picture and let them paint it in. Right. And, and in order to do that, we have to say, look, no two hitters are the same. Here are the concepts that are that are truths about hitting, right? You know, can we get the hips to turn while the barrel's turning behind? And that's why, you know, when people ask me about the, 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 the mechanical stuff, I'm like, there's probably two absolutes that I know. Like one is, can I get my hips to turn while I'm like making the barrel go behind me? And two is, can I continue that barrel on a turn this way? Doesn't, it can be tight, it can be wide, it can be somewhere in the middle. It could come in steep. It could come in steep the other way. It, 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 those, those are all dependent on millions of factors. I get annoyed. So when you ask me where the state of the game is, I, I get annoyed at the division instead of like the growth together. Cause it's, okay. it's, it's, it's almost, it's like you have to, like once you say one thing, you have to be on that side versus it's just like politics right now. If you stand for one thing, they're assuming you have to stand for the other. So, where do I stand? Where do I think the game is? I don't know. I, I mean, I would like to think that we could bring both those worlds together instead of just arguing with one another and yelling. Like, I feel like con conversations were much more constructive back in the day. And, and part of this, Bobby, is probably the fault of the, the access, right? And it's unintended consequences of access, stuff we were talking about before, where fans and people that aren't in the thick of it have a voice and they can be heard and they can actually do really good stuff and help the game. Casey Smith, Bobby Tewksbury have like really helped the game, right? You've really helped the game of baseball. And then there's other people who are trying to help the game or so they say, but then become super combative. Like, Oh, teacher man, super polarizing. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Well, you're an idiot teacher, man, just be quiet, go hide in your cave and just keep your mouth shut. Cause you're, even if your information's good, this is what I used to say about baseball players. Even if your information's good, you're doing more harm than good because you're becoming somebody that nobody wants to listen to or hear. You're becoming the guy that I'm going to resent and want to punch in the face or whatever. Am I even allowed to say that? Cut that part out. Well, it's the, the issue of like, if you're going to own, if you're going to promote your successes, you better own your failures too. And to, to stand on a, on the soapbox and claim this exclusive rightness about the swing, like you are right. And everybody else is wrong. You better be batting a thousand with your clients and you're not, and you're not, nobody is because nobody is the implication is absurd. The information can, can help certain players and it can hurt certain players. And to, 
like you have to own it. You have to own your success and your failures. And my biggest issue is when you start, if you blame players for lack of execution, that is your fault. Yeah. If, if you're, if you're spoon feeding information to a player and they're not succeeding with it, you got to react, you got to change and you can't blame the player for that failure. As so. soon as, and, and then not to mention, <laughs> this is my favorite part of all of it. When, when people use, and, and look, I'm going to use the term not good hitters, right? But, and, and it's all relative because they're big leaguers. But like I'm, when you use a lower tier big leaguer as your example of what's right and what's wrong, and not to mention, A, you had nothing to do with that player's development. B, you had, and this was what my webinar last week was about selectively choosing video to fit your narrative. It's like, what are we talking about? You don't know what that player's thinking. You don't know how they learned. You, you have no idea what's going, what thought process is going into that swing. So it's such a deeper conversation that, that people, it's really hard to take the time to have that conversation on Twitter because Twitter is just, a, it's just a mouthpiece to get, you know, your emotion out of you a lot of the time. And I mean, we've taken this show and you asked me about the state of the game and now I, I'm complaining about all the things that I hate about it because that's what I think makes it difficult. And, you know, is, is baseball good? Yeah. Baseball's still a fun game and I love it because the critical thinking aspects of it, people are trying to take the critical thinking aspects out. And that's, I think what ultimately bothers me. That's are the foundation. The, are they taking the critical thinking out or are they taking it away from between the lines and sticking it up in the office and trying to make all the decisions outside of the scope of competition? Like, well, in real time. Yeah, well, I think right, like you're 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 eliminating any you're eliminating any subjectivity. You're eliminating your desire as an individual to try and evaluate somebody based on a set of criteria that don't exist, right? That like tangibly. It's like the people that make the Tom Brady argument so I have a, a, I have a somebody that I know in my life that tells me Tom Brady's overrated, and I'm like, you're, you're like, what what does that even mean? How can you be overrated? You're the best player ever. And who tells you that? Shane, obviously. And I hope he <laughs> listens to the, to the episode. And he's like, Tom Brady's great. I think he's the best quarterback to ever live, but I think he's overrated. And it, listen, when you live in New England, you get a steady dose of people that are like, oh, Tom Brady, do my guy, like whatever, like, and I get it, right? The point to me is there's a reason why Tom Brady's teams continue to win. And sure, Belichick had to do some, had something to do with it. Sure, Josh McDaniels had something to do with it. Sure, Vince Wilfork and Dante Hightower and Teddy Bruschi and Teddy Johnson. Like those cultures that got created in those early teams in New England were carried on by Tom throughout his career. And he became the leader and he took that and brought it to Tampa. So when you look at a guy – and what he brings to the table, it goes so far beyond the stat sheet to me, which is, and that's the thing that's obvious to me. And I think that's the piece. If you look at baseball, it's the, it's the Jeter effect. Derek always says now, he's like, if I was getting drafted today, I probably wouldn't even get drafted. You know what I mean? Cause he doesn't metric. He doesn't, he doesn't analytic. He doesn't, you know, exit velocity. So those are the parts I think that I just, I'll always miss. Right. I'll miss that aspect of digging into a player's worth deeper than just what it says on a statue. 
So in summary, <laughs> state of the game is okay. Which, <laughs> which brings me to my next one. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> no, it's yeah. In terms of like X and O's and like the strikeout stuff, there was a, there was an article I read yesterday. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but it was uh, an old school Cardinals guy. I don't know if he's a manager or a GM, whatever he was talking about, but he was, He's talking about the pace of the game and how there's no action. And he, he, the, the metric that he used was number of pitches per game. And he, it was like, today's game has like a hundred more pitches than it did uh, 10 years ago, 20 years pitchers ago, whatever. Pitch contact. But, but, and that was, that was basically his point. And he's like, you can never, like, you can do like a pitch clock. You can do, you know, reduce commercial breaks, whatever Doesn't it is. Matter. But if you still throw 400 pitches a game, like, that's going to take a long time. Yeah. So until guys are, are pitching to contact, which like realistically pitching to contact invites more damage. And it's just like the, the trend of the game is to try to strike guys out. Even if you walk a guy, you try to strike out the next guy, you limit damage, you limit contact and you have a better chance of winning. So it's really hard to be like, Oh, well, you know, this gives you the best chance of winning. We're going to ban it. Like, you how wanna, do you get guys to throw to wanna, contact? You want a counterintuitive the heck out of this one? Sure. They're going to move the mounds back, but then move the fences out. <laughs> How about that? Move, move, the mound, the mound, yeah. move the mounds back, move the fences back, dead in the ball. That's the only way to get back to what what the game really wants. Yeah, but the mounds back thing. You can't move the mounds back, period. I don't think. It's just the, the game. Like, is there another instance of a game advancing to a point of – the like, rims always not, been 10 feet. So no. Yeah, but like the game advancing to the point where it's not even a product anymore. Is there is there another example of that? I'm trying to think of like like any any there's gotta be some some comparable here, some analogy of like the the, the so competitive far. aspect of the game makes it to the point where it's not even fun anymore. I the the only that and Patrick, I was, this is exactly what I was gonna say. Patrick just came in with this the three-point shot in basketball changed the dynamic of, of of basketball right but it the game was still exciting and it was still the same and it's still like the core principles behind basketball didn't change when the three-point line came in right you still had to go up and down the floor and score more points than the other team baseball has this unique set of circumstances where the team on offense doesn't have the ball like you don't have the ball on offense, so you don't control tempo, you don't dictate pace of game, you don't dictate game flow. And as long as the person that is is defending is on offense, like with the ball, they're gonna control what happens. And we as like I don't know, a generation are in denial of that, right? Like we're and that's why the the, the discussion of moving the mound back. It, it, you're, you're, you know, people talk about compromised records and, and the tradition and the history of baseball. Like if you move the mounds back, that's all gone. And I know the mound has changed heights. It's changed, you know, they've made it higher. They've made it lower. They've tried to mess with the strike zone. You know, th that would probably be the next thing is tightening the strike zone. It, it, dude, listen, the Atlantic league raked this year, like everybody raked and they were with the automatic strike zone. Um, I don't know what it would do in major league baseball, um again i'm not a proponent of it but that's just me like maybe it's time for it i don't know maybe i'll uh, maybe okay i'm not gonna like get mad if they do it i'm just curious to see how it changes the dynamic yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to fix the the time. I don't know how to fix the lack of offense. They need to deaden the ball, Bobby. Like the ball can't fly out of the ballpark the way it does. But it, deadening the ball isn't going to stop. Like, how do you make the ball travel to the air slower? It, it's not going to happen. Listen, there's a difference between like the low minor league ball and the big league ball. Like the, the only way you could fundamentally get hitters to change the way they go about their business is if like if Joey Gallo hit uh, like 18 home runs instead of 39, like he stinks, right? Like he stinks. If, if guys that hit 220 don't hit 35, like they're terrible. They don't, they're, they don't become five win players. Like Mike Zunino has a brutal year if it's a 17 or 14 homer season. And realistically speaking, it's still not that good a year in my eyes and the way the games about because like it's just 25 more good swings if you so go you from think, 14 to 39 it's 25 really good swings you think deadening the ball would change the hitter's approach to the point it that- has to because if you can't if you're not hitting the ball in the ballpark you got to hit against a shift you got to hit a line driver with a shortstop's head right like it, it's the only way the amount of homers that are being like dude guys that Guys that hit seven homers in the minor leagues hit 30 in the big leagues now. Think about like Frankie Lindor and Jose Ramirez were like six homer guys in the minor leagues because they didn't think they could hit homers. And now they've both had 30 homer seasons. Like, think about that. What like it's ridiculous. I I understand what you're saying, but I don't know how making offense harder would make the game more palatable hitters need to have different mindsets in the batter's box the, the, too many guys are comfortable with the idea of a true outcome yeah i'm not saying it'll make the game more palatable it's going to take like five years it's the only thing that will get traditionalists to understand what's going on because they they guys those guys want to see tony gwynn and they want to see wade boggs and they want to see each row again and and guys that like handle the bat and move the bat around the field move the ball around the field you know the closest thing you have to that right now is david fletcher probably in the big leagues and nick Mondragal. yeah the, the, the game's drafting according to that now like they're drafting back in the in the cycle of high contact rates not a lot of swing and miss uh the kid from that started the year with houston uh, center fielder what was his name he got traded um i don't know Gosh, I can't remember his name. He got traded for uh, Miles, Miles something. He's supposed to be really fast. He went to Cleveland in, in one of the deals. Nope. Blank for me. Golly. Anyway. Anyway, let's Miles move Straw. on. Miles yeah. Straw. Miles Straw. Thank you. That's right the tip of our tongue there. Anyway. Max Moving Kellerman on. coming in hot right there with his, uh, his, his info in the, in the chat. Uh, Buster Posey, shut it down. Least Sad. surprising thing ever. Um, he, I, I tweeted this. He's, he was one of my favorite bats to watch live. To watch him work through an at-bat as a hitter was awesome. He was a fantastic receiver, controlled the pitching staff really well. Three World Series. Um, is he a Hall of Famer? Mm-hmm. Depends on how you look at it. I think so, everybody. I think everybody will vote for him. 
I don't think, know if that means he's a Hall of Famer. I think it's tough to talk about catchers in the last decade plus without considering him. Like the, if if he didn't win three World Series, I think it's a no. But because he won three World Series, he contributed to those teams, um, had such a big impact. It, that makes a difference. It depends on what the criteria for voting is, right? And I'm what I mean by that is are you being comp to players in your generation or are you being comp to players in other generations? And 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 this is the 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 hard part about the Hall of Fame is where does like what makes a player a Hall of Famer? If you just go really deep down to the roots of what makes a player a Hall of Famer, do you have to be a top 1% player in your generation? I, I don't I don't know what the criteria was when the Hall of Fame started. I don't know what it's evolved into. Um, like, and again, I think it depends on who's voting. All, exactly. <laughs> all the things we just talked about, about moving the fences back, uh, the, you know, dead in the ball, this, that, they all have an impact on your statistical performance, right? So like holding people to the standard of the stats that were created 150 years ago, like the, the thing that people can't possibly understand is that what Babe Ruth did in terms of like, him compared to like everybody else is absolutely beyond belief, right? Like that's, that's like a, if you took, it would, it would be like modern day Aaron judge, right? Size, strength, ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark combined with like who had the best hit ability of all time. You know, I don't know whoever it is. Uh, so like, I mean, Babe Ruth was hitting more home runs than entire teams. Exactly. I think he hit more home runs than the entire league. Can you imagine some player hitting 240 homers in a year right now? Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the equivalent of what Babe was doing. And now obviously from a percentage standpoint, like unfathomable, but like, how could nobody figure out how to do what the Babe was doing back then? How could nobody be close? How could nobody be in the conversation? So it's a game changer. Babe Ruth should be in his own hall of fame. Basically he should be in the hall of halls of hall of fames. Right. So what's the criteria for letting people in? So is Buster Posey a hall of famer? I don't know. It just depends on your opinion. Do you like him enough to be in the hall of fame or do you not? I think it's very close. I think, I, th- I think it's very close. I mean, Yeah. I, I, st- from I, don't, a, I don't know what's going to happen. I, from a I numerical think... perspective, like how many catchers have 3,000 hits? Pudge get 3,000 hits? Pudge Rodriguez, that is? Uh, that's a good question. Catchers with 3,000 hits. That's how easy it is to Google stuff. Yeah, look, it takes four seconds. Uh, it doesn't give me a list by position, though. Come on, baseball almanac. All-time hit leaders at each position. Pudge Rodriguez did not have 3,000 hits. Yeah. 2,844. Who had 3,000? Anybody? He's the all-time leader in hits. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I was, I mean, that, because it's, it's too hard of a position to get 3,000 at. Is Mauer That's, a cra- that's crazy that all-time, he never. Is Mauer a Hall of Famer? I don't think so. I don't think he's sustained long enough. I don't know. Posey was an all-star. One, two, three, four. Producer Patrick is is a very is a catcher, so he gets the like he's oh yeah. 
I think a bias the catchers, but I, I would say, yeah, like they were two of the better catchers. Like if you're going to look at the three best catchers of the two thousands and two, and like from the two thousands to the two thousand twenties, right. The last 20 years of baseball, like from a, from a production standpoint, it's Buster, Yachty and, and Joe. Joe didn't stay at the position for long enough, probably. Um, I think Salvi's trending in that direction right now, right? So you got four guys who literally jump off the page to me, and that's it. So are they? Does that make them Hall of Famers? I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would say Joe and Buster are both in the conversation. I say Yachty is a for sure yes, and I don't know about Buster and Joe. Like I, I agree that they can be, and they. If you tell me that you think they are, Joe's a tough one too. Though when is Joe eligible? Twenty eighteen was it five years? Uh, yeah. Joe's an interesting one. He's a career three hundred six hitter. Just didn't hit for power. He had one year where he hit for power. He, he bat three batting titles as a catcher. Just didn't win when it mattered. Like didn't win a championship. Uh, I don't know these guys. It's tough with um. You know, Mauer only had 2,100 hits, 2,123 hits. It's just not for a position, for an offensive first player. It's just not a lot. Of, it's not, it's a lot of hits, but it's not. I get it. Fame, I don't know what the criteria is, Bobby. I told you that. It hurts because those are guys that in our era, in our like timelines are pretty relevant. I think it's going to become, if neither one of them get in the Hall of Fame, I think it's going to be really difficult to get in the Hall of Fame moving forward. It should be hard to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, sure. All right, let's move on. But Posey, that's uh, we'll put leave a question mark on that. Uh, let's go right to the mailbag. We've been going for a long time already, yeah. so let's let's move forward a little bit. Game, game Lillard basically, excuse me, he uh, struggle bus. He yes. sucks, and he's like, yeah, owns it. Great. It's love great. It. I'm going to be better because of it. Yeah. Um, I actually lo- I love this mailbag question from James. I love it. You get to watch a ball game anywhere in the world other than North America. So Japan, Taiwan, Cuba, Dominican, Venezuela, South Korea, where would you go to watch a game? And what about that baseball culture do you appreciate? I, mean, I don't think I would do I, Japan or Taiwan because I got the, the thunder sticks and it just would drive me crazy. I knew you were going to contrarian that. But there's no other place in Japan for me because I love how much the culture is into it. That's it. I love the baseball, but the thunder sticks. If they're like big thunder sticks, I'm out. I just I don't want to listen to that. That's the only place I've I want to go. Dominican. I want to go somewhere Latin America. Just because I've been to Dominican, been to the, the WBC experience for me as a fan to see the passion and the energy. I just thought that was like the coolest thing. Uh, the story of when uh, they did Team Italy did the mound visit. And it got louder. It's the only time I've ever seen that happen. Yeah. Like yeah. the mound visit was like the slow walk to the mound. Let's calm everybody down. The noise level went from like a seven to a 12. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10. And that, that was the, one of the coolest things ever. The fans imposed themselves on that game. It was cool. That's yeah. like Latin American that. countries are, are, are cool. I, I just think there's also a chance of like getting a coin in your forehead like at some point or a coin yeah stabbed outside the ballpark or any of those things now those things can happen anywhere but i mean i've had my own fair share of experiences there i would japan it's either japan or korea to me I, I like i think it's japan because i would like the tokyo dome something so cool about 
watching that place from afar. I couldn't wait to possibly play there. And then I didn't. Not the, but then they didn't have the Olympics in the Tokyo Dome. No. Did I no, just make I a would love to. Like, I would love to go there as well. I would love to. I make to a little to kid the... mad face. I was like, then I didn't. I was like, yeah, that was funny. The way I kicked my feet down was funny. I looked down. I would love to go to Asia to watch baseball. I think yeah. the Japan. the taste of that style of play from going to uh, Netherlands, going yeah. to uh, Harlem. Dude, do you remember watching the guys in the parking lot doing dry swings at night while they were ripping heaters? Not that I suggest ripping heaters, but like these 22 year old Japanese kids were in the parking lot at midnight doing dry swings, like the, the culture of work and, and how do they go about it? It, 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 you know, so many of the concepts from modern day hitting existed in, in, in the far East for so long that I think they had directional challenges, but I think from a plane and mechanical standpoint, they were so good. And because their direction, like they had, they didn't understand direction. So the forward move was like strong and they didn't have guys with stature. So that's why they had very few guys that hit for power. I don't think it was part of how they were developed either. Um, so I would love to like watch how a young Asian player trains. Do you, I, that video fascinates me when the guy's throwing flips from right in front of the hitter with no screen. And he like completely trusts the kid to hit the ball off to the side of him. The, just the culture of discipline. Yeah, and, it's discipline. Yeah, yeah. Um, really good question though. Thank you, James, for asking that. Curious where you would want to go see a ball game played. Um, I don't know. I don't know what like if if we're going Latin America. Where where would you say is the most energetic? I don't even think it's fair to compare it. The Dominican and Mexico in the playoffs are. I mean, Puerto Rico and Venezuela have both fallen off. Obviously, Venezuela from a standpoint of the country has lost you know financially they're in you know different problems um in the dr if you get into the postseason and and mexico's same thing really you get to mexico even during the season i mean the league's a little bit deeper the country's bigger more people have you know watch it in the dr there's four teams and winter ball you know that's it or six teams but like they play in basically four cities um you see Pujols having fun playing playing yeah, ball. Yeah, they did, uh, and with with my guy Jumbo Diaz. Jumbo Diaz, I think Jumbo Diaz will be pitching in about fifteen years. He'll be seventy three and still be pitching in the Dominican Winter League. And Wilkin Castillo, I ran into Wilkin at Diamond Nation when I was down there, you know, for two months ago or whatever it was. And uh, uh, Wilkin, he, he saw me. He was coaching the team. He go, <laughs> and, well, he's still catching, still doing it. Crazy. Uh, last topic that we'll do post show. We got some movement in the coaching world. Our guy Pete Fatsy, now the head hitting coach for the Boston yeah. Red The uh, Texas Rangers making some moves. They got Donnie Ecker to come in and be the offensive coordinator, and then Tim Hires is the the hitting coach. Thoughts on having offensive coordinators in baseball? Uh, weird. And I, I honestly like I figured I figured Tim was going to end up in Texas. Um, that was exactly what I said to Pete as we were talking through this thing. Um, interesting stuff, man. I, I offensive coordinator. I, I listen, major league baseball is creating more weird jobs that I don't understand. Like, I don't know how many coaches you need to have for the same thing. This hierarchy, like people getting hired, like the titles on names, it's 
to me, it's like, dude, are we hoisting the trophy at the end of the year or giving ourselves a chance to, are we holding the trophy up or not? Like it don't, I don't care if the pitching coach gives one of my hitters advice about how to bunt better or anything like that. Like if we win, we all win. Like as coaches, you're at the mercy of, of your players. Right. And how they perform. So like whatever offensive coordinators, like I feel like you should be the pitching instructor if you're the offensive coordinator because the pitcher has the ball and he's on offense. So it's all messed up to begin with. Yeah. You're, you're big on the, uh, ball. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The Donnie Ecker going there was interesting because he, the coaching staff and what they had going in San Francisco was pretty interesting. Donnie's very highly respected in the, uh, the online hitting world and obviously just has produced everywhere he's coached. So, well, he had Darren. Having Ruth. A, if you have Darren Ruth on your team, you're going to, you're going to rake. It yeah. Work. Yeah. Um, it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens. The, the Rangers payroll is at like $35 million. So they got to get some guys to swing the bat um, to before they, they worry about. They literally have two players right now. The, the shortstop kid, Connor Falefa and, uh, the fir- who's the first baseman that they they got from uh, they got from Tampa? I think it was Lau. Wow, it's the other Lau. The two of them can handle that. Everybody else they got uh, the outfielder too. The kid Garcia. from that was the Rockies. Yeah. Um, what's his David name? David Dahl. David Dahl. Yep. And Adolis Garcia had a nice year or nice first half anyway. Yep. So they got four hitters. They got four guys. <laughs> I don't know what their minor league system looks like. Hang with um, Go get them. But who knows? I, I, the there, There's a lot of shuffling going on, as there always is. Um, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But uh, congrats to Pete, friend of the program, podcast guest. <laughs> like a booster. <laughs> Friends of the program, like blue chips, friend of the program. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got to, like, hype ourselves a little bit. He got the job because of us. Is that what? No, we can't say that. No, Pete works hard and happy for him to be a yeah, Massachusetts a to, be a, to be a Massachusetts kid to get to go to Fenway every day for your job. That's pretty cool. Nasty. Really, really cool. Yeah. Happy for him. Uh, anything else? UFC was nice this weekend. Patriots look like they're back, or they're just playing bad teams. Um, UFC was so nice. Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje fight was the best fight I ever seen. Didn't even know they were UFC yeah, fights. It was awesome. It's okay. We don't need to talk about it. We talk about a lot. I believe you. Uh, yeah, we'll have more hot stove type stuff, I'm sure. And if you haven't you been catching, if you haven't been catching CC's uh, hitting webinars, oh yeah, this going? week's exciting. What we got this week? I have a sample hitting class created talking about creating themes for hitters week to week. It's exciting. And I have all my, my classes mapped out for the off season, which is fun. Excellent. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. That wraps it up. That was like an hour and a half. That was long. Yeah. It was long. Well, we've, we got into a topic. We both needed to talk to. It wasn't yeah, rant, it's always, ranty things are always good. So I'm sure the fans will like that one. Let's see how that goes. I can't wait to be on. I can't wait to just get sucked right into the middle of the conversation. Anyway. Pickle out. <laughs>